Lord, I thank you for your uh, presence with us this morning. I thank you that you can come and we can come and worship you, glorify you, and enjoy your presence, Lord. Thank you for a beautiful day. Thank you for the Labor Day and the opportunity that we have to reflect on all that that means and the significance of that for our country and for our families and, and just that you are a God who continues to provide for us. In your name I pray. Amen. Recently, I went through a time where I was struggling with some relationships. And nothing major, but I just felt like I wasn't connected. And I felt like that was in uh, moving into God's relationship, or my relationship with God as well. And there was just something off. And I came to the realization that there were times where I was focusing on more of my life and more and more on what I was doing and wanted everyone to join me in that. And so I brought a recliner in this morning, um, and I would suggest that this is certainly one of the better modern inventions. You can sit in there. It's obviously comfortable. Oh, it's excellent. It has multi-positioning. We can do this, we can do this, we can do this. It's big enough that I can do more than one thing at a time. I can eat pizza, I can watch TV, I can sleep, all of these things. And so I realized sometimes in my life, I was kind of going through this time where I even out loud would say to my family, hey, come by me, do what I'm doing. Hey, come over here, hang out with me. Which worked really well until one day my wife, without really understanding the significance for me, said, well, why don't you come by me and do what I'm doing? And my first thought was, sure, I could do that. <laughs> but I have lots of ways and means and, and reasons why I'm sitting here and doing this, and I'm kind of liking doing this. And so why don't we just keep doing this? And everybody come by me, and I can do what I'm doing. And it worked really well, um, and we joke about that, but once we get to that, the significance of um, our reactions and our, our reality of who are we focusing on, we get to the moment where I think I was developing some bad habits. I was developing some perspective that, hey, this is about me. This is my time. And there's lots of reasons for that and, and um, lots of different things. And I had to go through a time where I made some significant adjustments because I realized I was seeking after what I wanted. Uh, Matthew 6, 34 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible and has been my whole life. It's a passage that's in a, folk, in a section on worry and worrying about tomorrow. And Matthew 6, 33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So if you seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, for all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I, needed, I realized I was at a place where I needed to readjust to seek his righteousness. And so I have a recliner here today to represent my life, and I have this chair to represent God. Now, anytime you're going to illustrate God's presence, that illustration falls apart immediately. Let's face it. It just isn't something you can say, yeah, God's presence looks just like this. But the Bible talks about there's times when, when people or angels or whatever come into God's presence and he's sitting on a throne. And so this is the most throne-like chair I could find. And so we have this. We have the um, crown of thorns to represent Jesus and his sacrifice. I have the Bible there to represent his word. I also have a, an apple that I'll talk about in a little bit. So um, I want you, but I wanted to give you a visual image of, because I was sitting here saying, I'm kind of seeking, hey, come by me, do what I'm doing. This is working quite well for me. And I realized as I was looking at that, that God says, seek first my righteousness. And so as I thought about that, I realized both chairs have righteousness. This one has God's righteousness. This one has my self-righteousness. 
And that's a tough place to be in. And it's a place that, that it's easy to fall into. And today I want to talk to you about if we're going to seek him, then we need to turn away from me. We need to turn away, or I need to turn away from me. I need to seek his righteousness. And so for me, this is, this is the chair, the recliner is that representation. I could certainly pull out a desk chair. Some of you, work is that problem for you. Where you start to seek, that, that is a valuable thing for me. And that's one of the things that gets in the way of seeking God's righteousness. Others, we could pull out an exercise bike. We really are into health and wellness, and that's a great thing. And yet we start to do that with our time and our energy, and we start to try to figure that out. And so this is my struggle. Um, Due to space and time and all those things, I'm just going to let you use this as a representation, and you can fill in your own object of what is it in your life that might be a struggle for you. And so today, I want to, we're in a series on Worship Regardless, and so I want to share three uh, reflections on that re- related to Worship Regardless. The Lord, limitations, and life change. Because see, the Bible uses the word Lord a lot. A lo- and Lord simply means an absolute authority for our life, a power over all things. And as we talk about God being the Lord of our life, we're going to talk specifically about us pursuing him, pursuing his presence. Now, I want to clarify up front, there's a, there's a part of that relationship with God that he pursues us, that he comes to us and says, look, I, I'm Emmanuel, I'm God with you, uh, all of those things. And so I'm making an artificial distinction today and saying, I'm just focusing on the part where we're chasing after him. But there's really a part where he chases after us as well. And that's that two-way dynamic of a relationship. I'm also going to talk about this as being from a place where... Um, you have the capability and the power and, and, and stuff to make some changes. Uh, I just really felt as I was t- preparing today that there's a burden for me if there's times where you guys and I get in times where it's just hard and almost impossible. And so you'll see some flowers today out in the lobby and stuff. We, we had a funeral on Friday for a woman who committed suicide. That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Rick Kiner. There are times where you're just in pain and you're saying, God... If this is going to happen, you're going to have to come and do this. And I want to acknowledge that. That's not what I'm talking about today, but I want to acknowledge that because that's a reality. I think sometimes we come to church and we say, yeah, if you're kind of struggling with pizza and recliners, chase after God. When we might be struggling with something incredibly deeper, and God is a big God, and that's the beauty of that. And so having said that, I want to encourage us, that is a two-way street. And I'm just going to talk about us pursuing God this morning. Because if he is Lord, if he is the absolute authority in our life, if he is a power over all things, if that's what the Bible calls us to have that God be in that relationship with us, then I, I would challenge us that we need to think about worship, and we need to understand what worship looks like. And Webster's definition is just reverent honor and homage paid to God, or a sacred personage, or to any object regarded as sacred. So in this church, we talk about the God of the Bible being the God that we serve, the Lord that we serve. Another way to say it is just the praise and exaltation of God. Another one that I really like is recognizing and declaring his greatness. Because for me to go from here to here is I have to recognize that there's something here that is worth me coming, that is worth me pursuing. And recognizing and then I'm declaring his greatness as I experience that, as I celebrate that. And we do that as a group in a church on Sunday morning, every Sunday. Hopefully you're doing that as individuals. Um, I, anytime I start talking about worship, I feel like I need to clarify, it, worship is more than just music. Worship is more than just church. 
It happens as we walk along. Deuteronomy 6 talks about teach your kids as you walk along the path and tell people about God as you're walking through your day. Um, the Bible also says the heavens declare the glory of God and they speak God's words and we can worship him and recognize him through that. And so when I talk about worship, I'm talking about that in the big picture, the broad picture. And we take some of that and we say, this is a worship time. There's teaching, there's music, there's um, testimonies, there's prayer, there's all those things. We read from the Bible. Uh, and that's a great form of worship, but that goes beyond what we do just on a Sunday morning. And we see several things in the book of Psalms that, just, um, that celebrates that. Psalm 100 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generation. Psalm 100 challenges us to recognize and declare his greatness. We're his people, and we respond through worship. Psalm 105 is similar stuff. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. And if we're going to understand worship, I would challenge you that we, we all are worshipers, whether we're worshiping something over here or we're coming to God's presence and worshiping him as Lord of our life. And Timothy Keller is a um, pastor in New York that I really like some of the stuff that he does. And, and he has a couple quotes on worship where he says, Thus every person, religious or not, is worshiping something, idols, pseudo-saviors, to get their worth. But these things enslave us with guilt if we fail to attain them. If ang- or anger, if something blocks them from us. Or fear, if they are threatened. Or drivenness, since we must have them. Guilt, anger, fear, and drivenness are like fire that destroys us. Sin is worshiping anything but Jesus. And the wages of sin is slavery. And he goes on with another quote. We think that idols are bad things, but that is almost never the case. The greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Let me read that again. The greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best things in life. And so we look at things and we say, oh, that's a good thing. I should pursue that. And it becomes our God. It becomes our idol. And to fully understand what it means to, for the Lord, God to be the Lord of a life is a lifetime adventure. The Bible talks about a lot about that process and working on our salvation and pursuing that, seeking him always, and, and uh, making that a priority. And if we're going to re- worship regardless, we need to pursue the presence of God through prayer, through his Holy Spirit, through the Bible, relying on the instruction of the Holy Spirit, through working with the other people and speaking into each other's life and being the body of Christ and worshiping daily in all circumstances. And if we're going to understand God as Lord, then we seek him. We recognize and declare his greatness. So if we have the Lord of our life, we also have some limitations. The struggle I alluded to earlier was allowing myself to focus more on me and my kingdom rather than God and his kingdom. And I'm a huge fan of uniqueness. There is no one else will be exactly like you in this world ever. 
If you look at personality, history, education, skin color, country of origin, family dynamics, you name it, we are just too complex for there to be more than one of you, ever. And so how can we, as a body of Christ, when God tells us we're a body of Christ, some of your feet, some of your hands, some of your head, some of your eyes, what a great picture and illustration of our uniqueness. And sometimes that uniqueness leads to limitation. And as I was reflecting on this, I thought, you know, how ironic that we're in a series on worship, worship regardless. If you were here three week, or two weeks ago, uh, Kevin Meyer, who's our lead pastor, um, you know, the one that's you know, supposed to lead us and, into worship and set some, set some vision and some spiritual tone for our church, um, he spoke on worship regardless. Last week was Joel, who's our worship guy. This week they have the admin guy who's in charge of finances and buildings. <laughs> and I share that because I put myself in a category of average guy when it comes to worship. This is not my job to teach about worship. This is not something I've been taught from an educational perspective. It's something that just like everyone, we are coming into a presence and saying, okay, the Bible says seek, his, seek him. Well, how do I do that? What does that look like? Another example of uniqueness, Joel last week started and said he oftentimes jumps really deep, really fast. He started with a, healing, a, a story about healing. I started with a recliner. <laughs> and for those of you that know me, no, this is the way I would start. Because this is who I am. And that's who Joel is, and that's okay. And so I want to challenge us as we think about worship. God knows we are uniquely. He says we are, um, he knit us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are unique. There is no one else like you. And he doesn't say, come and worship and seek me if you're the lead pastor, if you're the worship pastor. He says, come and seek me because you are my creation. You are my child. You are my sheep and I'm your shepherd. And as we experience that, it just, it, it, it identifies that. And so some of the problems with that, though, is we each have our own limitations. And so as I was thinking about that, um, using my recent testimony, I, I think I have a genetic disposition, disposition to not be a very good worshiper. I think it's genetically inclined, at least in the, in the uh, classic understanding. People talk about falling on their knees in prayer. My knees are horrible. They're fine if I'm walking around doing stuff, but if I'm on them, and this is not a new reality. This is not just because I'm an old man now. I, in high school, I was a wrestler. If I didn't have knee pads, I was miserable. The idea of me standing on my, standing on my knees, that's really a good picture. The idea of me on my knees worshiping is, how do I do that? I don't have any place to put that. I don't like raising my hands. Anytime my hands go off my, my shoulders, my body goes, what are you doing? And so people come and they worship and they raise their hands. And my body goes, no, why? That's not worship. It's miserable. I don't enjoy clapping. My hands are wimpy. I got a blister from a fork once. <laughs> yeah, you laugh. This is not a good thing, ladies and gentlemen. I don't like clapping. My hands just, it hurts and it's uncomfortable. I have sore feet. So when they say, hey, stand and worship. Oh, my feet hurt. How can I worship if I have sore feet? And probably the biggest problem, limitation, that I struggle with is music doesn't move me very much. It doesn't move me the way other people get moved. 
And I have a great story about that I'll tell you some other time, but, and I've probably told you several times. But, um, but sometimes music is great. When they do worship songs, there are times where there are worship songs that, man, it brings me right into God's presence. And there are times where I go, yeah, that was okay. Um, and there are times where I take then that music and I, I use the words of that or the thought of that, but it's not because it's, it's moving me, moving my spirit. A couple weeks ago when it was Communion Sunday, we were talking about remembrance, and we do a communion to remember what God sacrificed. And there was a line in that song that said, um, remember, when you remember, it drives me to worship. And so for several weeks I've been thinking, man, as I remember God, drive me to worship. I can't sing that song. I don't have any idea what the rest of the words were. I don't have any idea what the tune was. It's all blank. But I took some words to that and said, this is how I'm going to use that and how I'm going to worship in that. And so how do I worship regardless of those limitations? If I'm sitting here as this person that has these limitations, how do I come to God and say, here's my presence? Well, I I think the first thing I I learned, I have hand-raising friends. Beth McCann, who is sitting, I'm sitting up in the front somewhere here this morning, she raises her hands all the time. I've known Beth McCann for years. Her children have gone through the youth ministry here. and uh, it, it's, I love Beth McCann, and I love her heart for God. She raises her hand all the time, hands all the time. When I went to her and said, you know, Beth, I'm going to talk about this raising hands. Are you okay if I use you as an example? Um, she said, sure, yeah, that's great. I, you know, you know. And then I said, well, because I'm going to offset, like, you worship raising your hands, and I don't, and how do we worship regardless of that? And her husband, Tom, was standing next to her and goes, well, I sit next to her every week. I don't raise my hands either. (laughs) And Mary King, who's not here this morning, but if she was here, she would be sitting right in the front row raising her hands. When I went and asked her if I could point that out, because, again, I've known Mary for years. And I know I see that. I see and experience God through just Mary's passion sometimes. And I, when I asked her if that would be okay for me to use her as an illustration, she said, yeah, and do you know why I sit in front? Because I don't like distractions. And so for her, she said, if, I have, if I'm sitting in the back, I'm noticing what people are doing. I'm noticing what they're wearing. Well, oh, they have a new haircut. All of those things. And so she accommodates that limitation by sitting in the front. And she raises her hands. Now, I, beyond learning, I think I also got to think strategically. You know what? There's times where I watch Beth and Mary raise their hands and I think, oh, yeah, God, you're awesome. And there are times where I go, oh, there they go again. (laughs) And you know what I do when that happens? I close my eyes. Because it's fine, it's great for Mary and Beth and the number of others of you that like to raise their hands. That is not a great thing for me, and maybe someday it will be. I can't can't imagine, but it might be. I'm open to the idea. (laughs) But I close my eyes because it's appropriate for them to do that. And if that's a problem for me, I can manage that. I do this and their hands are not in front of me at all. You are all gone right now. (laughs) And so I can worship and I can experience God in spite of my limitations. One other strategic, I can think about worship before 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Now clearly this Sunday morning, I thought a lot about it before 10 o'clock. But as a general rule, if I'm coming and sitting where you guys are, Um, are we thinking about God before 10 o'clock? If we're going to worship regardless, then that, are we getting filled with God's truth and experiences his his throne and his presence at a time other than 10 o'clock on Sunday morning? Now, this would be a good time to remind you, next week, 9 and 1045. I'm the admin guy, remember? Um, I have a simple faith that doesn't struggle a lot with doubt. 
So it's easier for me to trust in God, trust in he, he is who he says he is. He's supposed to be in charge. Living that can be tricky, as I've pointed out. But faith is something that God has blessed me with. And I have to guard against thinking that then am I not deep enough or impressive as a person? As people come and say, oh, I was worshiping and I was just struggling through this thing. I, I don't always struggle through those things. Is, that a pro- is there something wrong with me? And so I think strategically and know you, how I am uniquely made And I challenge you to fill in, this is just my list. You can fill in your own list. I have the ability to picture how God works in everyday life. I just don't use preaching as an illustration tool. I use preaching as a way that I I experience God and I focus on him. Those of you that know me and especially those that work here and see me on a regular basis know if I get something cool that I experience and I'll finish today with, I was reading in Acts 13 and I'll finish that with that uh, illustration. I'm going to tell you about that. And the next person that walks in the room, I'm going to tell you about that, tell that person about that too. And you're going to hear that. And so the poor staff that work with me hear the same story 15 times because I'm going, do you know how awesome God is? That is a way that I worship. I see and experience and I share that with other people. And I do it with my arms down. (laughs) And I understand that the way I experience God most is through relationship. When I'm seeing what God's doing in people's lives, if kids are being moved by God, man, that just does something to me. It drives me to worship. It drives me to acknowledge, Lord, you are amazing. I'm going to recognize and declare your greatness. You know, when I see stories of Kathy Hagenau, who, I've, again, I've known for years. I've watched her raise her daughter and her grandkids, and she's struggled with feet pain for years. And if God took that away and healed her, that does something to me. And especially healing marriages, we have a great ministry in our church of healing marriages that I'm not personally involved in. I just get to see from a distance. When I see broken couples that come together and say, there's nothing for us left, and we talk it through and they experience God and that draws them back together, man, that drives me over here and says, God, you are my Lord. And so in spite of those limitations, there are things that I can do to worship regardless. And so there, and you can fill in your own list. Again, that's simply my list. And sometimes you've got to worship outside your comfort zone. There's times where you just, it's just something you've got to do. Sometimes I clap because it's part of worship. That's just part of being the body of Christ. Joel, last week, talked about solitude. You know what? The default behavior of an extrovert is often noise, movement, and people. I am an extrovert. My default is noise, movement, people. Do you know when I'm quiet? When people start driving me crazy. But that's not what God is talking about. In Psalm it says, come, be still, and know that I am God. There's a Sabbath where we're supposed to set apart time for experiencing God and allowing him to speak to us. There's lots of illustrations about that in the Bible. And yet, as an extrovert, that's a big limitation for me. And sometimes I just have to worship outside my, my uh, comfort zone. I have to come and say, I don't like stillness, I don't do it well, but God calls me to do it. And you know what? I see it work in other people. Quiet people confuse me. I don't get why you're quiet. It doesn't make any sense to me. But I've hung around enough quiet people to know that they have some thoughtfulness that I don't have. Because <laughs> I don't have to think about it, it just comes out of my mouth really fast. And so one of the things that we have to do is sometimes we have to worship regardless in ways that are uncomfortable. Solitude for me is not comfortable. 
But I value the idea that there is something about being still and knowing that I am God that draws me to this presence and away from this other presence stuff and this self-righteousness that we all get stuck in. I love that our church mission statement relates to our individual uniqueness and potential limitations when it says, help everyone to take their next step in knowing, following, and becoming more like Jesus. And then the question is, what's, what's your next step? For me, part of that is that silence, is that stillness, is that Sabbath. Um, maybe for you it's to celebrate and realize God, recognize God's doing some stuff. Maybe for others it's forgiveness. Maybe for others it's joy. What is that next step in knowing and following? Because we're all unique. We all have our own limitations, but we all have the same Lord. And so as we process that and figure that out, that becomes really important for us to understand that. So what is your limitation? Are you struggling to pursue God because you're a person that needs to know the future? God's not a great roadmap. He gives us some sketchy details and says, go do that, and I'll, I'll walk along the way with you. Are you struggling with a relationship today? And that's getting in the way of your worship. Are you tired today? Are you sitting there thinking, man, that guy's still talking. I can hardly keep my eyes open. Are you having some, do you struggle because you have doubts? You're not sure God is even true. How can that 2,000 years ago and creation, what do we do with the Big Bang? How do we do this? That's real. Is your limitations, I'm not sure what God's doing in my life right now. I'm not sure he's working anymore. Is your struggle with other people being in charge? Not even God being in charge. What are your limitations? And so I encourage you to turn to God, pursue him, Worship regardless of these struggles. Because God promises a relationship with those who seek him. And that he will find it. We will find him. And if we need help knowing how to do that, come here, do that together with us. Read his word. Figure that out. We have stuff through the week that allows us to learn more about what it means to worship and come to him and experience him. And so in addition to being God, being Lord, and we having limitations, we also have life change. And you know why it's called life change? Because it's a change in your life. And we joke about that, but I, I'm a concept guy. My, my in-laws live in Valley City, North Dakota. Um, it took me three years to go, oh, it's a city in a valley. That's why they call it Valley City. Because for me, it's Valley City. That's that town. I, my, my brain just doesn't do that somehow. And I think we get stuck in that with life change. Because we go, yep, that's life change. Yep, that's the thing that's happening here. But I'm telling you, it's not a concept. It's a reality. It's a change in our life. It's moving from come by me, do what I'm doing, to going where God is, doing what God is doing. And so I just want to give you a few examples of that today. Uh, you know, you, when you start talking about worship, it just never ends. You got... Um, it just continues on and on about our opportunities to understand more and more about God. But if we're going to come to him and have life change, then we're going to, um, forgiveness is one of those things. And it's not forgiveness that comes in this, from this chair because it's logical and the right thing to do. Over here, I, I can forgive you. Yeah, this once. I can forgive you, and now you kind of owe me. I can forgive you for taking so long to realize it was really my way was right in the first place. That's what forgiveness looks like on this side. Forgiveness on this side, when people come to Jesus and say, how many times should we forgive people? Like seven? That's a lot. He says seven times seven. On the cross, Jesus is being killed. 
He is dying, and his response is, forgive them, Lord, because he doesn't know what, they don't know what they're doing. Are you kidding me? You're dying because of their actions. That's worshiping regardless. That's walking up to that throne and saying, God, that forgiveness is because something happened as I recognized God's glory, as I acknowledged him as Lord of my life, that changed my life. Because it's life change. Your life is changed. And so you go through that. One of the things about the Bible is they talk about fruits of the Spirit. And so I brought an apple today. The apple, if you look at an apple, you know that that came from an apple tree. Okay? That, it didn't come from a grape tree. It didn't come from anywhere. That's an apple tree. And if an apple tree is healthy, it produces fruit. And God uses that illustration in, um, in Galatians, it is. Uh, Galatians 5. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. And so the fruit that comes from experiencing God and the Holy Spirit and having him work in us um, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This summer I was talking to somebody and I was saying, you know, talking about this and my, the relationship struggle that I was having and it just wasn't connecting. And they said, well, what would that relationship look like, you know, like with your wife and family and stuff if, if that was good? I said, well, I'd be more patient, and I'd be kind, and I'd be more loving. And he said, so you're struggling with fruits of the Spirit. Well, no, I didn't say anything about the fruits of the Spirit. I just want to be more patient. Well, the reality is, if we're going to do that, that's what comes from this presence. That's the change in my life. Because I can be more patient and practice that over here. I can do it. I can acknowledge that and whatever. But it isn't really a change. It just goes back to where it was. It goes back, I, I increase it a little bit. But it isn't real fruit. It doesn't change who I am. And so I'd encourage you, as we come to, that, come to God, um, he will change who we are. He will change the fruit that comes out of us. And I don't know any other way to do it besides that. The other thing and, uh, is the whole idea of community and family. And when I say family, I'm not talking about your immediate family, your family. Your, um, family of origin or family of adoption or any of those kind of things. I'm talking about the family of God, that God, again, talks about the body of Christ, that we're working together and we're supposed to value each other and um, encourage each other and take our uniqueness and put that together with your uniqueness and other people's uniqueness and experience God in a way. And 1 Thessalonians says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact you are doing. Hebrews 3, 12 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encouraging each other, sorry, but encouraging one another daily, as long as it's called today. I love that phrase. As long as it's called today, you're encouraging each other. What about tomorrow? Yeah, you don't have to encourage each other tomorrow, because when you get tomorrow, it's today. And that just continues on and on and on. And there's a sense of that community and the body of Christ that changes from me sitting on this side to me sitting at this side. And God values that and we speak into each other and we challenge each other and the Holy Spirit works with us to do that. His word is, becomes alive as we teach and preach and do that stuff together. And it's life change. 
So action steps, I, I, I challenge you, think about where, what are the limitations that you have in your life? What are the things that are getting in the way of what God's doing? And some of them could be major, huge changes and, and struggles where you have to say, God, I, I need some help with this. Others of you may be like me that just kind of are falling into bad habits. You forget, or you, you, you kind of like this a little bit, and you forgot what it was like over there as we pursue and experience God. And celebrate life change when it happens, as we see that in other people's lives and in our own. In Acts 13, I was reading, I got a uh, version of the message, uh, the Bi- message Bible for Christmas, and I've been reading a little bit out of that. The message, as many of you may know, is a paraphrase. A par- paraphrase simply says, they're taking what the, um, the words and the meaning of God and, and of the God's word and putting it into today's language. And so they just, it's a paraphrase is, they just put it so people can understand well. And so sometimes it's really nice to just read that as a, God, what do you want to connect with me about? And I read Acts 13, 50 to 52, and it says, some of the Jews convinced the most respected women and leading men of the town that their precious way of life was about to be destroyed. So Paul and Barnabas were coming in and they were teaching about Jesus. They were teaching about this new faith that they had never heard about. And people were responding. There was life change. They were coming past their limitations. Paul was addressing that. And they come and they said, um, they, the critics came and they said, you know, some of the Jews convinced the respected women and leading men of the town that their precious way of life was about to be destroyed. Alarmed, they turned on Paul and Barnabas and forced them to leave. Paul and Barnabas shrugged their shoulders, and in NIV it says, shook the, sand, shook the dust off their sandals. We don't shake dust off our sandals, so that's why they, um, they shrugged their shoulders, was how um, they, the message puts it, and went to the next town, Iconium brimming with joy and the Holy Spirit. Two happy disciples. They just got kicked out of town. They were doing God's will. They were not doing bad things. It was good things for God, and they still got kicked out of town. And their response? Brimming with joy and the Holy Spirit. That's worship regardless, ladies and gentlemen. Is when we experience hardship, we're going to worship regardless. When we experience limitations and struggles that maybe come from our childhood or our background or whatever, it's worship regardless. And if you read the story of Paul, the amazing thing for me is through the book of Acts, Paul is put in jail, and he's writing Bible books of the Bible in jail, saying rejoice that God is so faithful. What? That's life change. And he's looking at that, and he gets beat up, and he says, serve God. And he gets shipwrecked, and I mean, his life is a disaster half the time. And he continues to come, because you know what? Paul and Barnabas experienced this. They experienced God as Lord, and that changed their life. What an incredible picture of worship regardless. And so as we start a new school year, or maybe we wrapping up the summer, we can worship regardless of the summer being over. We We can worship regardless of school starting. We can worship regardless of our limitations, our hesitation, because God is our Lord. And we can do that brimming with joy and the Holy Spirit. And that would be my prayer for us as a church and as for us as individuals today.